I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a conversation with designer Laura Thornton about streamlining the business experience. And this one hits very close to home. As I have mentioned on many occasions, I, I'm working on the Tulsa Remote Design House project. This is a real project working with real designers who do not come to Tulsa. Their work is virtual and remote while the project is real. The experience of design is everything, right? So what goes into providing a wonderful experience for those who provide design and architecture services? What's more important, a wonderful experience or the finest products and materials? Sometimes there are choices that need to be made in which one must choose over the other. There's a quote on Laura's website, quote, I have two things I live by. Buy things you love, they will never tire, and classics never go out of style, end quote. But if you scroll the gram, all you hear about are trends and what's hot versus what's not. We're not going to be talking about that. So tune out the noise and enjoy this conversation with designer Laura Thornton. And we'll get to that right after this. I am so proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They have been presenting partners of Combo by Design for four years now. And there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the absolute best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide. And they do this for a few reasons. They were the first company to design and patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S.-based manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? I have the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me and, and you know this, that the idea of luxury has changed, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory, or it's just not considered a, a luxury. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option if you want the absolute best, and that's Thermosol. Mitch Altman, the third-generation CEO of this family-owned company for 65 years, continues to innovate the bathroom and shower space through technological marvels such as intelligent showering systems, sound therapy, aromatherapy, technical interfaces, and so much more. And now Thermosol, the industry leader in steam bath equipment and technology since 1958, is enhancing its already stellar family of products with a new indoor and outdoor luxury sauna collection. Each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of northern European sauna technology and design. Thermosol's latest collections offer luxurious features and exceptional design. A bathroom isn't luxury without steam, and there's only one option if you want the finest experience. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. Thank you, Thermosol. So I've learned a, a few things about you, and I wanted to start. The first thing I wanted to know is um, if you had a playlist 
So you're in the car and you're not listening to Smartless, which we're going to get to in a minute because I too yeah. am a true fan. <laughs> um, but if you're listening to music, what are you listening to? Okay, so I'm going to be all over the place because Love it. I was born born in the wrong era. I could be a lounge lizard, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. But then I also love like the Foo Fighters, Florence Against the Machine. But I'm all over the place. So yesterday I went back and was in the car for a while and I listened to the MTV Unplugged Nirvana. Like that was a oh my gosh. I university album. I have that on so, disc. You know. I love that. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So yeah, I'm all over the place, but I love music. I have music playing in every room of my home, like the every bathrooms, everything. So we always have music on and it can be anything, like I said, from I'm Irish by descent. So I could be listening to Irish music. I could be listening to Led Zeppelin. I could be listening to classical. I'm all over the gamut with music. So that's a hard one, but I do lean towards more lounge lizard-like. Van Morrison, easy listening for majority of the time. Yeah. So would you say, would you say it's loungy or is it like yacht rocky? Oh my God. Cross. Everyone talks about the yacht rock and I can't get into it. I, you every can't? Time I put it on. I'm like, how come I don't know any of this music? And here I am saying that like, I love music, but every time someone says put on yacht rock, I'm like, I don't know Phil Collins all that well. <laughs> I mean, I'll draw. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> I've tried. I will. I will give it a second okay. try around because everybody says go for the yacht rock on Sirius. So, but yeah, I, love I do it. love, I love music. That. It's everywhere. Yeah, and I love that channel. I really do. Okay, so by the way, what are your favorite Sirius XM channels? Again, um, I can have anything from road trip to I love the this classic 60s, 70s, 80s, yeah. even the 50s. Sometimes huge yeah. Elvis fan. I'll listen to Elvis all day long. Um, you know what, I'll, I'll call it up and tell you my favorites, but the other one I tend to go to a lot is, um, oh my God, what's the lithium and what's the one with red. I, that's alternative. I listen to that one. First the wave. Most. First wave. First wave. I listen to as well. That's got a lot of like my high school call university stuff. Yeah. And, um, XMU. Okay. Love XMU. Yeah. So yeah, new it, music, it's... more alternative. It's funny. I grew up in I grew up in L.A. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley in the 1980s. And when when K-Rock first came on the air and you had Swedish Eagle, Jed the Fish, Richard Blade, like all those guys that are that are on uh, first wave now, like I feel like I'm back in junior high school listening yeah. to K-Rock. It was the greatest. Well, sense that. and music, right? The ones that will bring you back just like that to memory. So totally. Yeah. <clears throat> will, will you do me a favor? Put yeah. a pin in it. Put a pin in this. OK, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. When we're when we're done and you have a chance, will I started asking for this because I'm not only fascinated by it, but I'm actually loving it. Will you send me your top ten? Like it doesn't have to be a playlist, Songs but like or channels. But, uh, bands. Yeah. Bands or artists. Okay. Yeah. Well, I all have... my playlists are open on Apple, so you can definitely go there and listen to my plethora of craziness. <laughs> I love that. But send me like even the ones that aren't on there, because sometimes you, you, you'll be like, well, I love screaming Jay Hawkins that nobody's ever heard of him. But it's like he's the greatest. So, yeah. you know, but sometimes like if you have like your top 10 and by the way, okay. talk to me about being at Bono's house. How does that happen? Ah, how do you know this? <laughs> <laughs> you seem genuinely surprised. I'm that little nugget. 
I, yeah, listen, I am. Did I, I say I, that I, somewhere? <laughs> this is not my first rodeo. I've done this before. I know, but where did I yap about that? I was very young. I was in grade eight. So if you can imagine 1988, you two had yeah. not made it here yet. Um, and my father's good friend that they grew up together, he was also a producer of a lot of Irish bands. Not you two. However, yeah. obviously the industry was quite small when you're on an island. And it was Christmas. We spent Christmas in Ireland with my dad's family. And they took us to these people's houses that were a big Irish band that, that meant nothing here yet. I'm in Canada, but they hadn't made it here. So if you can imagine that December of 1988, they launched Joshua Tree March of 1989. So it was four months before the, right? So mm -hmm. I didn't know who they were. So we went to Bono's house, which is where he still lives. And we went to Larry Mullen's parents' home because that's where he was living. <laughs> Still at home with his mom and dad. That yeah. is awesome. Oh, yeah. That is so Me great. Me and my like suede boots with feathers on them. Acid wash. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> the, and, and the feathered hair and the, the, the big eyeshadow. Oh, such a great time. Well, I was in grade eight, so I don't think I was allowed to wear eyeshadow <laughs> yet. And I didn't have big hair, but I made up for it later. <laughs> I made up for it in my 40s. Big hair and eyeshadow. <laughs> so curious, how does, because I've, I've talked about this before. Um, my background is in broadcast radio and music. Love music. And which is why when I, you know, when I started hearing you talk about music, I absolutely love that. I'm curious, how does that affect or inform your design? When you're working, does, does music influence how you work? Absolutely. It's a mood for sure. Absolutely. And it's on all the time. Like we turned it off solely today because we're doing this, but um, you know, when there's other people in the environment, we're a big, we're not a big studio, we're a small studio with, there's no walls. So everybody needs to be cognizant of what we're listening to. And so the only genre I don't love is country music, but the other two designers that were here in the studio love country music. So I do have to give up some of my selfishness to them to let them listen to what they like. And I do find that I get distracted by it because I'm, it's not my music. So I'm listening to it and I'm hearing the lyrics about, you know, how sad they are and their dog died and the pickup truck is broken and the beer on a Friday night is going to make it all better and blue jeans and, and I'm distracted by it. So I find I can't listen to that when I'm trying to do something very, um, you know, attention oriented because I am distracted by the music. But when it's something that I'm, used to or it's my choice of music i can it zones me out and allows me to zero in on what i'm working on it's just like a a, a mood i guess now um you know that's very different than if i want to be in the car with the windows down and sing my heart out on a friday afternoon but for working uh i do find that i do tend to, to gravitate towards the same music if we're doing selections of finishes it can be a much more upbeat much more you know woo woo <laughs> dance tune um, but for focus on working, I do tend to lean towards a more, um, not calm, but definitely a, a tone that's not a lot of, uh, heavy instruments, but yeah, it's just, I think it's just the way our brains are wired. Like I'm grew up with music playing all the time. So for me, that actually isn't a distraction unless it's something I'm not enjoying. Um, but if I'm enjoying the music for me, it actually adds to my focus, but it's also environmental how I grew up. I grew up with music on in every room. My father has eight albums. Music was on all the time in our home. So for me, that allows me to focus where I get for some people that that is a distraction. But for me, it allows me to be more calm, more focused. 
And I kind of, I lead into that because I feel like, you know, now more than ever before, and I say now more than ever before, because there are so many outside influences that can affect the vibe, our mood. Designers are creators. As a, as a creator, as a creative, as, and, and I will, I will, separate those two areas. So I'll draw the line of delineation between um, years ago, I was interviewing a, uh, a chef, very well-known chef in Los Angeles, who he and I actually went to high school together, Steve Sampson. And um, he's of Rosso Blue, and he's a remarkable chef. And, you know, he's got this Italian cuisine that he makes from the time that he was growing up as a kid. And he, when we were talking, he said to me, he was like, I'm, I'm a craftsman. I'm not an artist. And I thought that was such an interesting thing to say, because at first I thought he was, he was being self-deprecating. And then I realized as he continued to explain it, he is a craftsman insofar as he's not inventing new food as an artist might, or as an artisan chef, he is crafting something, recrafting something that he had as an eight-year-old at his grandparents' home in Northern Italy, he was recreating at that in the same way that his grandmother would, that she learned from her family. That was the difference between, you know, the, the artisan and the craftsman. And I realized that as a designer, you kind of have to have one foot in both worlds. Um, if you're too artsy, then you're, cre- you're crafting things that there's, there may not be a market for yet. That's correct. Yeah. If you're too, that's if you're too, you know, artsy, if you're too craftsmany, then you're not doing anything new. You're not breaking through any barriers. You're not, you're not making anything new or different. You're just recreating something that someone's done before. Where do you find yourself in that? And do you think about it in those terms as far as crafting versus creating? Well, yes, because we are creatives. And of course we do want our designs could stand out and do something different. I am not a designer that is going to give you what your neighbor has. If you want what your neighbor has, I'm not your girl. If you want something that's a reflection of you and that's a little different and will have infusions of obviously your life and your, like I can make anything look good. And I don't mean that to like toot my own horn. What I mean by that is I, if you want to just take a photo, like let's, for example, let's use farmhouse. Who doesn't love a farmhouse interior? Everybody's going there, but I don't do those. So there's enough people doing those, but I, I'm also a creative who owns her own business. And at the end of the day, um, I need to be profitable. I have people that need to get paid. I need to get paid. So as much as I would like to be off the wall with some things, that's not my wheelhouse. My wheelhouse is giving beautiful interiors to my clients or a reflection of them at a price that allows me to run a business and have a life. So um, I can see what your chef is saying too to his point, right? Like it's not, I'm not trying to become the cover of an A and D magazine. I'm not trying to be the new Kelly Wessler. Like I am not a, that's not my goal. My goal is to create beautiful interiors while running a successful and profitable business. And really, I think the one thing they don't teach us when we are in school and then you decide to go out on your own, it is 80% business and 20% creative when you own your own design firm. So there's other people in the design firm that are getting to be more creative than I am at this point. At the beginning, it was more about the creative and I had to learn about the money. Um, But now at this point, I am still sitting at my desk. Eight hours of the day is business and there might be two hours on the creative side at the end of the day. So I know that's a little bit different than a chef, but it does, of course, play a factor. Took a few years to get there. 
you know what's funny? You say that. I don't know that that's true. I think it's it's very similar to what a chef does. You know, when you think about a chef, you think about oh well, it's just all fun and in the kitchen and making things happen. Oh God, I don't think that at all. No, but what I mean is the same way that you're talking about the business and you're at the desk. You know, a chef has to plan out, do the meal plans and you have to do the shopping list and you have to go do the shopping and you have to do the chopping and you have to do the prep work before you ever get to do that magic with in design world is, is the reveal, you know, the reveal is the magic. That's the fun, right? Yeah. That's well, I mean, how many times people have said to me, your job must be so fun. So glamorous fabrics and you get to pick paint. And in my head, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. That's what I do. Right. Like you just, uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. But the illusion is, aren't we fabulous? Cause that's what we do. And you get the end result and you don't see the 19,000 steps that it took to get there. So, yeah. but yeah, like there's a, I'm sure that equally for them, think about how many things you just said. And at the end of the day, you're sitting down to like a 30, 40, $50 plate. You wonder how they, how we are even able to have that for that price point with all those steps that that gentleman had to do as the chef to get that bowl in front of you at the table. There's a lot of behind the scenes that people don't see. So, and I, and I'm glad you said that because that's absolutely true. You draw the correlation between that and what designers do. And it's so interesting because, you know, we're at a very interesting place in design. And I want your take on this. Um, You mentioned Kelly Wurstler and, you know, I think, I think the world of Kelly. um, Me too. She created something. Now, the one thing I will say is she created something and then it's on repeat. It's all very, very similar. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as there's a market for something, as long as there's a demand for something, it's like you go to a concert. We go back to music. You go to a concert. I recently went to to see The Cure in Ah! in Denver. Love The Cure. I was was disappointed with the set list because they got got deep. And I'm, I'm an 80s music fan who loves The Cure. But I love the hits, you know, I love some of the deeper stuff, too, but I really love the hits. And I think for designers, you know, Kelly is playing the hits and she gets it. Every good band plays the hits and that gives you license to try new things. When you talk about, you know, having a business to run and having to stick with, you know, a certain lane. Do you still get a chance to explore those creative outlets? Do you have another avenue for that? Do you have another vehicle for that? How do you, how do you get that satisfaction as well? Well, we always try and push the line, right? Like we always do try and put our elements into the design that maybe the clients would never have thought they were going to go there. Now, I'm a big advocate of saying, you know, if, if I really think it's the right piece or the right item, I'm going to push them. If they really aren't, like if they really hate it and just taste it, I'm not going to push. I am going to try and find something they love. But if they're like not sure just because of a price point or it's out of their element, I'm going to push. So that's getting some of our creativity in there. But on top of just here, I mean, as you know, the music thing, but we, I do have my own podcast. And I, I'm now helping other designers learn from to over 20 years. <laughs> of doing this in trial and error. Um, so that I find now is using my brain in a different way in some way I never would have thought that I ever would have done. I mean, I'm educating clients every day of the week, but now I'm educating designers, which I find is fascinating. And the feedback is also fascinating, but that's a different way to use to use my brain that, because um, I've been doing this a long time. So it's kind of exciting and new and fun to try something new, but it's also a lot of work and 
steps and hours that I don't have to, to make it happen, but I'm enjoying it. So I'm using that as a creative outlet as well, which I know is still design driven, but it's not actually the tangible items like the tiles, the flooring, the lighting, the, you know, all of that stuff, but it is definitely using my brain in a different way, still in a creative outlet, just a different avenue of it. Talk to me about the, the, the nuts and bolts, the blocking and tackling of it. Like you mentioned the tile and the, and the, the suppliers and the, and the showrooms and the vendors and talk to me about your relationship. How do you discover new product now? How do you, maintain those relationships with your showroom partners? How do you, because I think we've all learned in the last, you know, five years, that is more important than ever before. And a lot of people, yeah. I think, I, I think a lot of people feel like it started with the pandemic and it really didn't, um, you know, here in the States. And, you know, I have to remember that you have different political situation than we do, but, you know, here in the States, when the, um, the Trump China tariffs, were implemented, gosh, I want to say a year and a half before the pandemic. Same here. Yeah, here too. It yeah. created it created a huge um, amount of issues. And then, you know, for you as a designer, does that mean you you now have to go, either you're going to pay the tariffs or you're going to pay, you know, try to re replace it with something else. And then how much time do you spend on research? That's like a huge issue. How do you manage that? How much time do you spend on research and how do you discover oh. a new product? Okay, so... I'll start at the beginning with how we discover new, but I got to circle back at the end because in the last three years, like we were shut down heavily, like California. Um, it was, we were redoing work, not twice, not three times, like four, five, six times with supply chain issues. So we'll get to that because we're about to go into a huge supply chain issue again, due to fires and um, like weather in this, like your Hawaii, our Kelowna just city is gone. Florida is taken a lot. So we're going to have another supply chain issue with all the weather. So that's a whole other thing. But how, where do I start? So, okay. So when I was a solopreneur on my own, it was heavily on me to go out because I was working from home. So I had to go out and cultivate these relationships with the vendors who a lot of them I still use after 15 to 20 years. Um, and that is because we built up a rapport. Now I'm going into the change where a lot of these people are going to retire. So that's going to cause me to be forcing me to move out of my comfort zone and the people I've trusted and built up those relationships with. But I do find that now we're back able to do the high points and we're able to do the markets and we're able to start getting new vendors that maybe we wouldn't have thought about before. And you start building up new relationships slowly but surely. So I think that's key. Once I had my own space, I was amazed how many people came to us and wanted to push their product and will show up here. So it does save you all of that time and effort of driving around and cultivating those friendships and hoping for the callback. They actually will come to your space. So we do get a lot of cold calls. We do get a lot of emails, of course, can't reply to all of them. Um, but being Canadian, that changes things as well, because we don't tend to want to use a lot of American vendors, A, because of the exchange rate, and B, we have to pay all the duties and tariffs on top of. So this product that you have so much more accessibility to, is so much more expensive by the time it gets here that it's actually cheaper for me to design custom. And we've always been heavily custom Canadian made products as far as our soft goods go. Uh, anything from hard goods to um, lighting to artwork, we can get in from the States, no problem. We just have to be okay with marking it up in a way that it becomes somewhat uh, not really the value isn't there for our clients. Cause if they Google it, and or they image it, it's going to look like it costs absolutely nothing in the States. But by the time it gets here, 
it's a costly piece. So it does really force us to try and stay local, which is a good thing. Um, and again, we've been heavily custom the entire 20 plus years of business for all of our soft goods. So we don't have the issue with the tariffs, even though it is something that is here. And if you do buy retail or if you are buying direct from vendor, it is for a lot of designers. It just isn't in my case. I've always done a lot of custom. So on the custom side, do you have your own your own workroom? Do you work yes. with other work? Oh, you have your own? We have, we have two that we use religiously that we have been using for over 20 years, both drapery and furniture. So we have our own pieces that are named are our items that we use religiously regularly all the time. Um, and we just select fabrics. There's some pieces that, you know, tried, tested, true. And like to the point where I'll own them, I'll make sure that I have these in my home before I start using them regularly, because I want to make sure the arm height is correct. I want to make sure if someone like someone likes to lay down and watch TV or your head's not sitting too far. Like I like to own some of the pieces that we have in our line regularly, because then I know it actually does work for the average person. Like if you're a six foot nine, maybe not, it, it, <laughs> you know, or now the big trend is really deep, deep sofas, which is really great for a lot of men, but it's not fantastic for women who then feel like they're five years old and their feet don't touch the ground. So, you know, yeah. like I, <laughs> I want to make sure that uh, everybody's comfortable. Cause my big thing is regardless of your style, I want your home to have livable luxury and I love a lot of these new curved sofas. I love a lot of the new stuff, but is that going to bring you comfort when you come home at the end of the day? That's where I have to balance that out. When we were talking earlier about how do you get to be creative? I'd love to pick a lot of that stuff, but my clients like livable luxury. And so therefore it needs to have comfort attached to that. So I like to try those pieces first to make sure, or if I'm trying out a new feather vendor, or if I'm trying it, we always will purchase the items here. Like we went to a show a couple of weeks ago and we found a vendor that we really liked for a lot of these blankets, Well, we bought them. So I'm going to take them home. I'm going to wash them. I'm going to have my husband watch TV and roll around in them. I'm going to send one to my kid's university, you know, make sure I want to see what happens. I want to see. So quality control. And, <laughs> and uh, now we can at least know that some of these pieces will be coming in on a Canadian side. We don't have to worry as much about the um, supply chain, but we do know that we're coming into another heavy moment in the next year trying to get supply chain issues are pending so, because of all the build. So how do you talk to me about this and, and how do you adjust? One of the things that I absolutely love uh, when talking to Canadian designers, Canadian architects, Canadian musicians, Canadian anyone, and part of my family, um, my dad's side of the family came from Montreal. So he moved to LA in you know, the, the early mid 1950s, the family moved. Um, but one of the things that I find so interesting is there is this incredible sense of national loyalty. Like, you know, my, my previous career was, was in ra broadcast radio. And one of the really cool things about Canada and Canadian broadcast is they have to play a certain percentage of music that are Canadian artists, which when I was, you know, working at the edge in Dallas in the, in the 1990s and Alanis Morissette blew up. She blew up because she was on seven stations in Canada, which bled into, you know, certain certain influential cities in North America or in, in the U.S. rather. Um, and then radio stations in the north started picking up Alanis Morissette and it moved south. That's really unique because normally music and trends in music would start in the States, would start in, you know, L.A., San Francisco, New York and move inland or inward. Right. Yeah. But. 
Canada, you have such a sense of national pride and you try to buy Canadian and you try to produce and stay Canadian. And I think that that's remarkable. Challenges, because you don't have that much product from which to choose, as you see entering into another supply chain, coming off two very distinct supply chain disruptions, how does that change what is available to you? And do you see the workrooms getting bigger? And do you see more Canadian brands coming online? Or is it just, it is what it is, you use what you have, and then you try to fill in with the rest? So I think it forced us to do a lot of retail, which was not the norm, um, only because the bigger retail box stores had more control. And, and let's be clear, they had more money. So they had more money to pay the tariffs of what they were asking for these shipping containers, where the smaller mom and pop shops didn't have it. Now, the workrooms, it's the exact opposite. We were beyond busy. Like we went from 2019, like normal to 2020, crap in our pants, wasn't sure what was going to happen to having the best three years ever. Like everybody hated their house and wanted it changed. Every commercial job we had ever done had come back because now they needed to put walls up after 20 years of taking all the walls down. So it didn't matter where you turned. We were literally turning business away. But even getting that business, these projects have lasted way longer than they should have because of the supply chain issues. And because you always had to say, there's six things that I just can't get. So then we would reselect and then we would reselect. And then that item would be discontinued, which really meant it was never coming in. I and mean, you would have to reselect. So, um, you know, good problem to have. Yes. Do I want to do it again? Uh, no. And usually I'd put an, you know, a word in there that <laughs> isn't so friendly to a podcast because it was a super duper challenge on a time that was really busy and we had less hours in a day and we were wasting more time that you could not bill back for. It wasn't fair that the client hadn't selected that, we had selected that. So um, yes, we tried to do Canadian so that we would eliminate this issue of nine months later. We, we know we told you your light was coming in in nine months, but now it's not coming in. So we have to reselect and it's another six months for you to get a light. So we would try and we would try, but majority of the time parts and pieces are coming from overseas so it wasn't even though you say you know canadian made that's great we can try the only element that was clearly not affected was soft goods because we have the wood we've got the foam we've got the feather <laughs> we got the canadian geese we're good um but yeah it was definitely all the other elements so we could get you all of your comfort pieces your sofas your chairs but anything else was a was a real challenge and like i said it's going to be again but we do try i mean it is a selling feature too to to do canadian canadian goods people love supporting to your point the canadian industry like the canadian like anything that they can do to kind of support another canadian they're down for yeah yeah i mean it I, saves I a lot that. of taxes too right like we pay a lot of taxes <laughs> do you <laughs> yeah okay yeah. Well, you have that fifty well, percent of your paycheck, right? And then, yeah, but I mean, we don't pay for that. It's we don't pay for that, so it's right. uh, just in your whatever taxes. It's not like it comes off your anyway. That's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast, friend. So right, <laughs> yeah, that's but we do like we pay thirteen percent taxes on every single item you purchase. And then if there was any tariffs and anything to your point, that's even more and more and more. So um, anyway, if you can do Canadian, it definitely keeps the money in Canada. So why would we not try and do that if we can? Do you have a version of North Carolina where you have a you have a center that produces furniture in Canada? You don't have that. 
No, like I go to High Point. I, I was just on a phone this morning with uh, the hotel there. I'm going. I love going. I love seeing everything. We do have access to it. Um, I go for inspiration. I do go for case goods, but I don't. I have access to it. Like there's lots of representation here in Toronto, and they have showrooms. But again, we we do custom for a lot of that. So if I'm going to High Point and I'm looking at, let's say. Um, well, Baker, right? something along that line. I will be buying their end tables. I'll buy their tables. I'll buy their dining tables, no problem. And they have representation here. So that's not an issue. You are listening to my conversation with designer Laura Thornton. We'll be right back. Convo by Design is more than just a podcast. I'm not sure if you know that. I have spent the past 10 years building a production company and consulting firm that develops brand ambassador programs, CEUs, live event programming, as well as branded content for companies in the design and architecture industry, including designers, architects, furnishing companies, showrooms, and others in the trade. We have content producer talent in every region of the country and can help you grow your design business through brand development campaigns, social media, and CEU content development and production, as well as content consulting and live event programming to help you build strong and meaningful partnerships that will help you grow and strengthen your design business. For more information, message me at Convo by Design with an X on Instagram or email me Convo by design at outlook.com c-o-n-v-o-b-y-d-e-s-i-g-n at outlook.com well yeah i asked the question because i think it's interesting i was reading an article um yesterday on mitchell gold bob williams and they're ceasing operations and by the way i don't think that's the first to take place what's interesting is if you read there's the story on it how you know it was kind of like this brand that they built and got equity partners and the moment you have equity partners you know they're starting to look at profitability they're not looking at well this is a remarkable home goods luxury brand what's the what's the bottom line you know and then all of a sudden we lose another vendor yep and will somebody pop up in their place where will you know who will replace that whole i don't know the system and it's huge here because in Toronto, we have this company, it's over a hundred years old. Its name is LT. And, and because of their volume, that's who brings that in for us. And it doesn't make sense for us to go direct because they're getting such good discounts that by the time we buy it, it's still better for us to go through them. And, and I buy a lot of their product through that vendor. And I don't know, because their stuff is beautiful. And that's where you're, they're, like, they're not seeing that connect, but their bottom line dollars and cents and I know it's a real shame. It's going to be a real hole for here, for sure, in Toronto area, hands down. Well, and it's interesting because I, I want to sort of shift gears and talk to you about your idea of luxury and what luxury means. But what I think is interesting is to sort of, you know, set the table and preface this, this idea. So I remember, you know, producing programming when millennials sort of first became a consumer group, you know, and every panel was how do we how do we reach millennials what do millennials want how, what do millennials want to design and then something that came out of this millennial generation which i think is remarkable is this idea that they wanted one thing either they're sneakerheads and they just wanted that that pair of jordans or they they love watches or they wanted a piece of furniture but they got that one piece of furniture that was you know incredibly luxurious and expensive and then they surrounded everything else with big box and other items. 
it's an interesting idea to find the one thing that makes you happy, but it's another thing altogether to then surround it with crap. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's going to China became just so easy because it just kind of fed the machine over and over, but at the expense of some of our greater brands. So I'm curious, you know, how do you, how do you navigate that? And then those issues, and then that kind of leads into what does livable luxury mean to you? Because I feel like that the definition changes. Luxury now is probably different than to some degree than when you started as a, as a designer. What is, what is livable luxury now to you and how do you achieve that? And how do you achieve that in a time where, when our resources, as far as what's able to specify are diminishing? So my favorite thing to my children <laughs> who are in their twenties is don't go poor trying to look rich. So you, like, you, like the sneakerhead, the watches, they want all the good stuff that in their head is good stuff. Is it good stuff? Question mark, right? 49-year-old, 22-year-old, different idea of what that is. So that's my one. And then the other one is, I say it to clients all the time, if to get the pieces that you love will be, like for me, the livable luxury means that it's comfort and yet elevated. So it still looks like a million bucks. It still looks like you spent the fortune that everyone, no one's come to me and ever said, can you make my house look really good? Um, but like, you know, look cheap. No, <laughs> said that right everyone wants it to look like they spent a million bucks which let's be clear they almost are doing these days to get uh, a project right. done um and so that needs to be comfortable with elevated materials so that it can function in multiple ways now uh in the toronto area there's two types of homes there's the downtown which is really 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 small and you get like one kitchen, one living space in your bedrooms. And that space is your catch-all of everything. That is your entertaining space. That is your relaxing space. That is your, um, you know, family time. That is also your, like, you know, having another couple over to have cocktails. That's your everything room. So that room has to have so many facets to it that it can't be schleppy for Friday night, but then all of a sudden look great on Saturday night for your friends. So we have to make that space look amazing with durable and affordable, a lot of the time, items. Um, that that way it can withstand all those functions, but still look fabulous to entertain. So that's one element. Now we're located in Kleinberg, which is a much more um, established area with homes upwards of four or five million, six million dollars, and they're ginormous. So now we're making up spaces because their houses are so big that you don't really need a wine room, but let's give you a wine room because you have this space. So we have way too many gamuts here <laughs> to quantify what is luxury because this person here in this area is going to think having the wine room, the theater, um, you know, the spa bathroom in the basement connected to their indoor pool as luxury, where downtown is going to think the luxury is that I have this fabulous room that has all these faces that can, you know, entertain in all these different ways. So I've got two different ideas of luxury, but at the end of the day, anything that I'm selecting is functional, elevated, typically custom, which right away people equate with being luxury driven and it's to their taste and to their choices. So this way you're not stuck with anything. You're not stuck with that sofa in that fabric with that pillow. I can make anything their taste. So I can have the same sofa downtown and I can have the same sofa up here and they will read for two different, very different people, but be the same base and look very different. So livable luxury to me is that they can come in every day and touch and feel these textures and these materials and be very happy and comfortable in their space in an elevated look and feel. 
hope that makes sense. But it, every, it our, tends to be more sophisticated, our look and feel, and our clients tend to like that more elevated look. No, it makes sense. What I, what I also know is that, and it's really interesting, as cold as it gets there, I, I think, I think you, you, know, you have more swimming pools per capita than like anywhere else in the world. And I think that speaks volumes because, you know, while you may only be using them for four or, you know, three or four months out of the year, there is a, there's a sense of livable luxury that comes from functionality and not just material luxury. So, you know, I love that Canadians are out there using their outdoor kitchens in January. Yeah. yeah. You're using it. Either you'll just kick the snow off to the side and just roll it up to your back door. <laughs> I know you have to, we're indoors way more than like most places. We, it has to be comfortable. Eight months of the year is chilly. <laughs> Well, and, and so it's interesting because that sense of functionality, um, how do you navigate that? Because again, product may be, so like, for example, um, one of, one of my partners on, on the show, um, is a company called Moya Living. They build outdoor cabinetry from stainless steel. I mean, that didn't exist 20 years ago. It wasn't really a thing for outdoor kitchen. It was outdoor kitchens really were either a Weber grill or it was a stacked stone yeah situation yeah. with a grate over the yeah. top and i mean that's those really were your choices but now you look at outdoor kitchens that are i mean they're the same as the indoor kitchen you've got all the same appliances you've got all the same amenities you've got all the same functionality yeah. it's, it's true. crazy how do so you and one yeah, no, go ahead. That, that was the question is how do you navigate that and how do you deal with that? And is that part of livable luxury for you? Yeah, it is. I, I mean, I'm the first one who, as soon as I can get my tush outside into my back patio by my pool, I'm there. I don't care if I'm shivering, I'm out there. Or, you know, even like two nights ago, we're out there. It's now almost September and I'm still flapping mosquitoes off my legs. Like they shouldn't be around, but they are. Yeah, we're still out there. We're still out there with the bug spray. We're still out there. Sunscreen in the day, bug spray at night. We will be outdoors as long as we possibly can because we know it's hauntingly, quickingly coming fast that we're going to be inside. Um, but yeah, I, I got to be honest. I don't do a lot of outdoor spaces. When I'm asked to do it, I do all the same things that I do on inside, meaning everything is custom. All the chair covers, every, all the pillows are custom. Now we're not using feather. Um, but even in my own home, every single, I, I might buy a, a set and then I don't use the cushions. I have everything custom made and put into my backyard so that I am sitting on something comfortable. If I'm going to sit by my pool and enjoy my day off, then I am going to be with comfort and it's going to be in the colors and the fabrics and all the things that I love to look at. Uh, I live in the country. So obviously there's some factors that need to be in there with what choices you're making and the weather is different here so when we do decide to do outdoor things we can't use a lot of the materials that you can in the southern states we have to really make sure that whatever we're choosing can withstand snow and freezing like ice uh our decking materials have to be able to withstand the weight of the snow there's a lot of factors that go into play but during once they're open you can treat your back spaces or your side spaces as equally as you can your insides sofas love seats sectionals kitchens we are seeing in the last about five, six years, 
um, basically creating an outdoor space with screens. So that way you don't have to contend with the bugs. But because of our snow, you can't have a lanai, like a true lanai, like they're able to have in the southern states because we can't withstand the snow. So they are covered. But yeah, people are really taking their indoor spaces outside. Fire pits, elaborate pools, elaborate kitchens. Now you're getting big giant houses in the back that have sitting rooms, TVs. Like it's becoming a whole extension of your home, which I am all in for. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting. You know, we've we've learned how how to how to make homes more functional. But it's interesting. I kind of want to pivot to a couple of things you said and sort of drive that back home. So you started your own podcast. I, I have did. so many. I have so many questions. Okay, why would you do that? First right. of all, you hold that hold that thought. Put a pin in it. So the first question is why? Because now, how long have you been doing it? Just over six months. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. Because the the average podcast dies at four months because oh. yeah because um that's when people realize just how hard doing a podcast actually is yeah it, it, you can't just crack the mic and talk you actually have to have a plan did you <laughs> did you create your show because you felt that there was something missing in the amount of inform information you get and you touched on this as far as you know things they don't teach you about in design school as far as business goes it's true. And then you'll have, you know, trade groups like ASID, but they don't really always help the designers as far as the practical information. So it's not a shot. It's just, it is, it is what it is. So yeah. why, why did you start the podcast? Is it for designers? And how do you, are you learning while you're sharing or what's, what's the purpose? So it started, so it's called the Business of Beautiful Spaces because it's about the business end of creating what we do, like Business of Beautiful Spaces. So I belong to a lot of collectives and a lot of uh, design communities. And once you're in there and you start chatting, you realize I'm one of the most seasoned ones. And, you know, you do that because there wasn't a community when I was starting to build a business and you're not taught any of this in school. And it was a lot of trial and error. And I do think we're in this era of fabulousness that you can turn on a podcast or you can Google or you can do a masterclass. Like, I think all of this is incredible. And I would have been so into this when I was trying to figure it all out because you're figuring it all out with no one else doing the job that I was doing. And design wasn't as big as it is now. So like, I've got three little cousins. They're not little, they're in their twenties, but now they're all in design school. and that wasn't a thing. So it's much more mainstream. It's, it's actually a career. Like my father was a builder. And when I said I was dropping out of law school to do this, I didn't, it didn't go well. <laughs> Let's go with that. You're not going to make any money. They don't make, I said, listen, we'll figure it out. You always said if, you know, if, you know, if you love it, it'll, it'll happen. And it did. And that's great. And he took it all back later. But you know, at the time you go from one to the other and immigrant father, like didn't want us in construction, yada, yada. But I would have, coveted all this information that is out in the world now. And I was getting a lot of direct messages on my Thornton Design Instagram and through these communities asking, could they take me for a coffee? Uh, they would love to ask me more. And I, and I was trying to say, you can't say yes. Like I, I, I work 12 hours a day and <laughs> have a family and, you know, and so I would love to do it. I would. Um, and it seemed I was getting asked a lot of the same questions. And so that's how it started. I started with, well, how do I tell more people at one time? And 
that I thought this would be like, as you said, how hard it is and how much work it is. I thought this would have been a very easy avenue. Uh, you know, lesson learned. It's, it is work. It's time. It's hours of a week. It's, you know, you add it all up. It's a part-time job, if not a full-time job. Um, but that's how it started. And I was shocked how quickly, like, I, I don't know anything about podcasting. So you obviously know the stats, so I'm not going to try and pretend, but you know, within the first month I had 600 people listening every, and I was shocked. And then, then the questions were coming, then the DMS were coming and how grateful they were. And if I'm going to spend time listening to a podcast or anything masterclass design driven, with the exception of smartless, because that's like my ha ha time. Um, I want to walk away after that 20 to 30 minutes, even though I listen to it on two times the speed so I can get it done faster. I want actionable items. I don't want to just listen to something and then walk away and go, that's nice that she's got the same pain as me. I need something that I'm going to learn and that I can implement. And so that was my goal. How do I every week give somebody something that maybe they already have it and this month's not for them or this week's not for them, but for somebody else starting out, but it might not be the perfect thing for them and their business, but it's something that'll get them on the right path and then they can tweak it and they can cultivate it and they can grow with that in every which way they want. But I've tried a lot of ways and now I've got a really nailed down system that works here and everybody's on it and everybody's doing it and we're, we're profitable and we're making it happen that I would like to share that with other people so that they can get there faster so that they can spend more time with their littles and they can spend more time with their families and their friends. And they don't have to spend the first 15 years trying to figure it out. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I think for me, like it, I, I produce a number of podcasts. I'm on a couple as a host, but I produce a number of others. And it's really interesting because I find that creating a podcast is very similar to creating a design practice. There's all of this work that goes into creating a successful one. And you have to do all the steps before you, you can have what you want. And it just seems like there are a lot of people out there looking for the shortcuts. Like, I, I just need to get there faster. So, you, you know, you create a podcast where you're giving people, you know, tangible, practical advice. Are they still going to follow it? I, you know, I don't know. What I do know is that, you know, it used to be this was the, this was the space where the trades would, would, would be. But they, the trades just provide design these days. There's no, there's no behind design. In, in the trades, really. There are no more long-form interviews in the magazines. Um, and I think that's unfortunate. It's all just pretty pictures because I think that, I think that, that design is an art form, you know, and you are a creative. And you have to teach new generations or it's a lost language, right? Then it's just decoration. And there is nothing wrong with decoration. Agreed. Yeah. Love, love decoration. It's a different thing, though. That's a, that's a completely different yep. animal. So it's interesting. Um, how long have you been listening to Smartless? Uh, I guess they had, it was pandemic. So I think they had been around for six months-ish. And then someone yeah. said, have you listened to this? And I started. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a good laugh. I don't know if you've watched the HBO Max special, because that was pretty fun, too. I but, didn't. Yeah. It was it was funny. And and by the by the way, so Smartless is Will Arnett, Sean Hayes, and Jason Bateman. And it is absolutely hilarious. And did you get in because of, of Will and because Will's a Canadian and so you're supporting your fellow Canadian? No, a girlfriend of mine told me about it. And then 
you know what? No, but it's funny because you know how like when you again, I I knew Will Arnett a little bit, and I think because he was married to Amy Poulter from from um, SNL, but I didn't really know much about him. And so then when I started listening to it, I, I actually like. I like him the most. I think he's funny and it's not because he's Canadian, but I do love his shout outs to Toronto. And I do love when he tries to use his hoser kind of Canadian <laughs> accent, but no, it's uh, it wasn't the original, but now he's my favorite on there. And I do love Sean too. He's pretty fun, but yeah, they're all good. That's the thing. They're fun. You can tell that they're genuinely good friends and it resonates yeah. and you feel like you're just listening to them in their living room. Like it's, yeah, it's just easy. I do still listen to that on two times faster. So it's a little chipmunky, but. <laughs> oh, that's a great, that's so great. I love that you can do that. Yeah. I love that. Um, does last, last couple of things for you. And I'm curious, does Toronto have a design style? And, and while you're thinking about that, like San Francisco has a style. California in general has a design style, this indoor outdoor living that started, you know, back in the 1970s, it was, even before that, um, where that surf culture affected how people live. And then that surf culture became car culture and it, it kind of defined how people live and it kind of defined the culture. Um, and then it spread out to other areas. And there are certain other, you know, Miami and it's Art Deco you know, as certain parts of the country, Boston and their architecture and New York and the brownstones and, you know, all of the architecture you have there, Palm Springs and your mid-century modern. Does Toronto have a style? Yeah, it's called beige. <laughs> I'm going to be hated in Toronto, but yeah, it's just beige. And like everyone loves beige or now it's gray. It's beige. Um, you know what? Torontonians are very practical. So that's the other thing. You'll find that like it's beige with leather. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, it's beige. I don't know. It's terrible, but beige. So yes, if, if someone is into design, yes. And it's heavily influenced from the California, like a lot of whites, a lot of beige, a lot of easy colors, a lot of um, textile versus color. Um, but once, if they call us, then they're going to get some color for sure. But yes, beige is typically the one thing we see throughout every home. And then it, you know, skewed a little gray for a while. Now it's grayish, like they're just in the middle. So, grayish, yeah, grayish, okay, grayish, yeah. So that's yeah. where we're at. <laughs> okay, sorry about that. But if if they are design driven, then it does tend to have a lot of influence from California. Like it's a similar palette, very neutrals, very natural. It's just not Canadiana, like a lot of people would think. We don't have Hudson Bay blankets everywhere. <laughs> maybe you should. I know, yeah, but maybe. I, that, but that's kind of that kind of surprises me, to be honest with you, because. Um, Canada has such a a strong national sense of self and such a such a great national pride. You know, I feel like we're, I feel like we're in a very interesting time to be alive, especially in the design and architecture communities, because there is an openness and a willingness to find new and different ways to live that I haven't really seen in my lifetime. Um, I think the best way that you could equate it, you know, back to back to the 50, the 1950s, when, you know, when World War II ended and you had all these G GIs coming home and the culture kind of changed, the culture turned over, you know, you had young people looking to live differently and they were experimenting how they wanted to do that. Um, and I feel like we're in we're in an opportunity right you know, now where that's kind of prevalent. Well, in Toronto, um, our housing market is so out of reach 
for anyone young because you can't buy anything under a million dollars. It's not possible. So now it's changing very rapidly because a lot of our youth are intimidated. They can't afford a home. So now it becomes a renter's very European influence where they will rent. So that's not even their home. Like it's not, they don't own it. So will they renovate? Will they do things? No. Um, So that market's really changing here at a very rapid pace. Um, And that will further change this in the next 10 years because that first generation of home buyers aren't going to be there. So how does that influence moving forward to be seen? But it's going to be interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, Our world is getting a lot smaller. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, um, this was so much fun. I love that we got a chance. I think we covered everything. And you're, <laughs> you're when you have a. And minute, I owe you a list. I owe you a, a list. Ten, yeah, top you're, ten you're, bands. Yeah, your top, t- your top ten artists. I cannot wait to see that. Okay. Thank you, thank you, no, Laura. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thanks no, for doing thank this. Thank you. I appreciate it. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. Laura, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. This is why I love doing this show and why it is so rewarding for me to share these stories with you. Thank you to my partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Design Hardware, Thank you for your continued support and unwavering support of not just the show, but of the design community. For more stories like these from the design community, please make sure you are subscribing to the podcast so you receive new episodes automatically when they're published. That way, you will never miss a new episode. Convo by Design is available everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. Until next week, be well and take today first. (laughs) 